Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy. The book of 2 Timothy and chapter number 2. The book of 2 Timothy and chapter number 2. As we are continuing with the book of 2 Timothy, wrapping up this section of the pastoral epistles, just a few more messages left, and then we'll be moving on to other things. We find the Apostle Paul's in prison. He's in jail for the last time, and he's not in a nice, cushy prison. He is in a dungeon, and he knows that his fate is going to the executioner in a very short time. And so he's taking time under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to write a letter to his son of the faith, Timothy, to encourage him to continue, to encourage Timothy to keep moving forward for the Lord. And he gives him several different instructions and several different things to help Timothy not to quit the ministry, not to quit God, but to instead keep moving forward and encourage the work of God to move forward as well. And so now we find ourselves to the book of 2 Timothy in chapter number 2. 2 Timothy in chapter number 2, and notice with me if you don't mind, starting at verse number 14. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 14, the word of God says this. Of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but subverting the he of the hearers. Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. And their word eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth hath erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. Having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. And let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of 2 Timothy chapter number 2? 2 Timothy chapter number 2, and notice at the end of verse number 15, the phrase, rightly dividing the word of truth. Rightly dividing the word of truth. And with the Lord's help, we'd like to explain this passage and the importance that God places here on rightly dividing the word of truth. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you, I understand that this message has so much. We could actually spend a whole series on just this idea of rightly dividing the word of truth. But Lord, 
the purpose of this here is just to see it within its context. To see as the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy that we could be encouraged to continue in ourselves. Help us to be able to get a grasp of what needs to be taught here. That you would be with my mind, my lips, my thoughts, my words. And that you would have the words come out that only that needs to come out tonight. And that you would withdraw and withhold anything that does not need to be said in the context of this tonight. That we could get across exactly what you expect from us because of this passage. Again, because this requires so much spiritual discernment, I recognize that I need to die to self. I die to my ambitions, my goals, my desires, what I want to see accomplished, what I want to see be done. And I give it to you and just give you full liberty that whatever you want to do, however you want to work, we just have an expectation that you will work and that we would respond to you properly. And we love you. And in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. What a wonderful phrase that God gives, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, if we understand that there is a correct way, a right way to divide the word of God, then there's also a wrong way to divide the word of God. And these are very important because it affects how people see scripture. Sometimes you look at different churches and say, what's the difference between this church and that church? What's the difference between this church and this? What's the difference between this and that? Well, let me tell you simply, it's how they divide the word of truth. How they divide, it's how they see the word of God. And we understand that there is a correct way to discern, to interpret, to find out what did God mean by the passage. And that's what we want to explore here as the Apostle Paul is talking to Timothy. And the first thing I'd like to bring to your attention in this passage is that rightly dividing the word of truth takes work. Rightly dividing the word of truth takes work. That's what the passage says starting off in verse number 15. Study to show thyself approved unto God a workman. A workman. It takes work. That's why a lot of times people do not correctly divide the word of truth is because it takes work. It takes a lot of work to be able to discern and interpret the word of God correctly as God meant it to be. And as we understand that rightly dividing the word of truth takes work, there's a couple of things that we understand it takes work to do. First of all, diligence in the study. Diligence in the study. Now, notice this, study to show thyself approved unto God. The goal is to study to show ourselves approved unto God. The word study carries the idea to hurry up, to do something, and exerting oneself. You know, it takes work to study. It takes exerting yourself. It takes to hurry up and to look through it and to pour through it. That's what the idea of study is. Study is not the idea that you thought in high school where you fell asleep on your, on your book and drooled in it and hopefully that osmosis came in. That's not the idea of studying. It takes work. It's diligence to be able to study, to exert oneself. And this doesn't happen just because you heard a couple sermons or you read a Christian magazine. But it takes time to study, to pour yourself, to look at it. Think about a medical doctor. It takes seven years of intensive training just to become a medical doctor. 
Then after that, three or four additional years to become proficient to specialize in a field of medicine. Then it takes a lifetime of continual study just to stay current. And that's for a medical doctor. Well, the same thing's true with the Word of God. Is that it takes to study to be an authority on any subject. It takes that to to be able to study it. Think about even more the Word of God. Do you know that the Bible says that every idle word that we say, every idle thought will be brought into judgment? Well, if every idle thought will be brought into judgment, every idle word that is spoken from us, what's an idle word? It's something that we just say in passing. It's the idea that you hear the grocery store having music on, and next thing you know, you start singing to it. That's an idle word. It's a word, you know that every idle word is going to be brought into judgment? Well, if every idle word is going to be brought into judgment, how much so for the preached word? You understand just to get up and to be able to say things about the Bible without knowledge is a very dangerous thing. Not because of the results of the hearer, but because of the one that we're here to please. He's the one. If someone is going to speak with authority on the scripture, it takes study. It takes study. By the way, for me to even preach a message like this, it took time to study. Didn't just grab this a couple minutes ago and say, woohoo! It takes time to study, to be able to pour into, to understand what it's saying. Diligent study requires time, commitment, and hard work. So diligent study requires time. For you to take five minutes and say, woohoo, I know what the scriptures say, it's probably not enough time. You have to spend time with a passage. There's no substitute for spending time with a passage. The more time that you spend with it, the more that you get out of it. After that takes commitment. You're going to have to be committed to it. You have to set aside, fight for that time and say, I want to study the word of God. And it takes hard work. Only by that kind of study can a a student of Scripture show himself approved unto God. Think of this. Study to show thyself approved unto God. The word show here has the idea to present. It's almost like you have to present a paper to God. You remember those days in high school where you had to fill out essays? We had to do a research paper. And when you did your research paper, you read it out loud in class, right? You remember those days? You read them out loud. But was it the students who graded your paper? No, they were the audience. Who was grading your paper? The teacher. The Bible says to study, to show, to present ourselves approved unto God. That when we come up and teach a class, when we teach a Bible study, or we preach the word... You may be the audience that's listening, but I'm to show myself approved to him. He's the one that's grading my paper. He's the one that's judging it. He's the one that I have to get the approval of to pass the course. It is him. You are the ones who just get to participate when I show off my paper, but it is him that I'm presenting myself to. It is him that is giving me the marks. It is him that is grading me. And this is the idea of being in a position where one's quality or worth as a diligent student is being displayed. So I'm displaying myself to God with you watching 
of my study, of how well I've studied. When you realize that the audience is God, it changes everything. My, my goal from preaching is not to please you, though I hope that the preaching of God's word is pleasing to you. It is him that must be pleased first of all. And so we understand that studying the Bible to rightly divide the word of truth takes work. And the first thing is that it takes diligence in the study. But that's not all. It also requires discipline by the student. Discipline by the student. Hard work means to labor. Bible study requires lots of hard work if it's properly done. Now, we know that there's lots of doctrine, singular, in the Bible. And in order for us to handle doctrine, we often classify and break it up into smaller parts, a number of branches so we can be able to understand it. For example, we have theology. That is the study of God proper. We have Christology, which is the study of Christ. We have pneumatology, which is the study of the Holy Spirit. Bibliology, the study of the Bible. We have angelology, the study of angels. We have soteriology, the study of salvation. Hermotiology, the study of sin. Anthropology, the study of man. Ecclesiology, the study of the church. Eschatology, the study of last things. Now, those are just some of the branches. And with each of those branches can take a lot of study. You understand that studying the word of God is not just doing uh, the Bible for dummies. It means to be able to have discipline, to study the each things of the Bible, to systematically study. We have a course called Systematic Theology, where we systematically take what the Bible says about a certain subject and study it out so we have a consistent view from Bible from cover to cover in the word of God. That takes work and it takes study and it takes us um, each of these things to pour ourselves to. Now, of course, in each of these studies, there's disagreements and mixtures of philosophers. No wonder the Bible says that it's work because it takes a lot of work to be able to filter through all of this stuff and find out what does the Bible say and what does man think about it to be able to see and study this. So we understand that rightly dividing the word of truth takes work. And we understand that it, tar- it starts off with the idea of that it takes diligence in the study. Diligence in the study. It takes discipline by the student. But it also, we see the division of the scriptures. The division of the scriptures. The Bible tells us that no prophecy of scripture is given of any private interpretation. That means the Bible doesn't mean one thing to you and mean another thing to me. Unfortunately, that's how people interpret it. That's why we have so many different churches and so many different flavors of churches. Because people say, well, this is what I believe the Bible says. We should not be finding out what I believe the Bible says. We should be studying what did God mean when he wrote the scripture. And you can know what the Bible says. You can discern that. In fact, there's a couple different rules, a couple different guidelines that can help us out so we can know what did God mean. First of all, we go with the idea of who is speaking. Who is speaking. For example, if Jesus says something and Judas Iscariot says something, which one am I going to hold more weight to? Well, definitely Judas, right? I want to listen to what he has to say. No, of course, Jesus. We, you have to understand who is speaking. Do you know that there are lies in the Bible? 
The Bible doesn't lie, but it accurately records when someone lies. It records conversations. It truthfully records them. So could there be somewhere where someone tells a lie? Well, if I know who's speaking and know what they're saying, well, that, that, that covers quite a bit. I can understand that I'm probably not going to believe Judas Iscariot when he says, I love you, Jesus, right? There are things that we can discern. So who is speaking? Who is speaking? We also understand who are they talking to? Who are they talking to? Well, the audience matters. Do you know that Jesus spoke differently to his disciples than what he spoke to the Pharisees? That matters quite a bit. Who is he speaking to? Well, if he's speaking to his disciples, he's probably trying to help them. If he's speaking to the Pharisees, he's probably trying to warn them. He's trying to get their attention. So who the audience is matters quite a bit. When Nehemiah is speaking to Sanballat, Tobiah, and the people that hated him, when he says, no, I'm not going to go see you. Is he being mean? No. But we understand who he's speaking to. He's speaking to people that wants him to get off the wall. Well, that matters quite a bit. Who is speaking and who are they speaking to? There's a third thing. What are they saying? What are they saying? That's quite important. Do you know that you can say something and say the same words, but say it in a different way and it changes the meaning? For example, we could say, that is a baby. A declarative statement, that is a baby. We could say, that's a baby? Well, I said the same thing, but it meant quite something different the way I said it, right? That's a baby? It changes the meaning. So what are they saying? What are they talking about? What are they saying? Here's another thing here. What did the audience understand the meaning to be? What did the audience understand the meaning to be? There are some people, for example, that believe that Jesus never claimed to be God. Can you imagine that? However, when you read through the gospel record of John, what did, Jesus would go through some teaching. And then all of a sudden, as he's teaching in the midst of it, the Jewish people go and grab stones and they get ready to throw them. And Jesus says, time out. Why are you going to stone me? And they said, well, you just claim to be God. Okay, time back in. I just want you to admit it. What did the audience understand Jesus to say? The audience understood that Jesus claimed to be God. So the audience helps us to interpret what did they, how did they understand it? Well, if they believe that Jesus claimed to be God, what did Jesus claim to be? He claimed to be God. Does that make sense? So we could see how did the audience understand what was being said. Now that's important because we know that words and phrases change, right? Context is always key. For example, in the Bible, did you know it uses the word gay? It does. But what the Bible refers to gay is something completely different than what we refer to the word gay today. You understand? There is a difference in meaning. Even in our culture, things used to be cool, man. What did that mean that I needed a jacket? No, we have to understand what did the context say? How did they understand 
what was being said. That helps us to get a correct interpretation. So we don't interpret things off of what we think it is today. We're trying to understand how did the audience respond? What did they think that the person said? And then the fifth idea that just to keep us in line, just simple things, we understand that first of all, who is talking? Who are they talking to? What are they saying? How did the audience understand what they were saying? And then the fifth thing is that we take the Bible literally as much as possible. You take the Bible literally as much as possible. So when it says that Jonah was swallowed by a great fish, what do we believe happened? He was swallowed by a great fish. We take that literally. Even when it uses figurative language. Remember, figurative language is pictorial language. For example, if I was to say, so-and-so is happy as a lark, what do I literally mean? Do I mean that they're a lark? No. What do I mean? They're happy. I'm using pictorial language to get something across literally. And so we take the Bible literally as much as possible. And even in uh, figurative language, we take the literal idea that is being carried out. We take the Bible literally. Well, this plays a big part inside of Scripture uh, for us to study. And by the way, it takes study to be able to discern this, to be able to see it. Because without it, without the study, we can say in the Bible that the Bible says that Judas went to go hang himself. That's in the Bible. We can also see where Jesus says, you go and do likewise. Jesus said that. Does that mean that we could put those verses together and say that we're supposed to go hang ourselves right now together? No, not at all. We have to understand proper context. Who is speaking? What is being said? Who are they talking to? How do the people audience understand it? And we take the Bible literally as much as possible. Those are just some parameters to help us to be able to understand what did God mean by it, not what do we think it means. Does that make sense? This takes study. This takes work. Now, all of this idea of rightly dividing the word of truth doesn't mean we scorn the help of others. God has given the gift of teachers to the church. And teachers can be a great help as long as we compare them with Scripture, like the Berean Christians, that they readily accepted the word that Paul said, but then they went and searched the Scriptures to make sure those things were so. <laughs> we don't have to start from scratch every time you're, you, a new Christian starts and says, all right, and you start from the foundation and build up. We can have teachers that can teach. Everyone who's a serious student of the Bible should have an ever-growing library of people to help them. You need to be reading books. You need to be studying, building off the work of others. You don't have to start from scratch. It's one of the great privileges of living in the time that we live is that people have already written great books and given us great understanding on things for us to be able to build off our knowledge of. And learn from them and to be able to glean from knowledge. It's one of the great privileges we have. So don't scorn others, but be able to build off their studies and glean it for yourself. Maybe I can give you an example. At the end of World War II, Winston Churchill was the Prime Minister of England. And he was curious about what the Bible said concerning Russia. Russia was starting to become a very big threat. And so he asked one of the greatest Bible teachers in England at that time, a man by the name of Harold St. John. Well, he had booked for the early morning session, and so Winston Churchill had him in, and he listened to Harold St. John open up the Word of God and explain to him things about the end time things. 
uh, right before lunch, Winston Churchill poked his head out and talked to his secretary and said, cancel all of my appointments for the rest of the day. I need to hear what this man has to say. Well, his secretary objected and said, well, you got the king of this African nation and you've got this appointment. He says, none of that. Cancel them all. I need to hear what the preacher said. And so he listened to Harold St. John until the twilight hours. When he was done and they were getting ready to part ways, Winston Churchill said, I would give half the world to have the Bible knowledge that you have. Harold St. John looked back at Winston Churchill and said, Sir, I gave up the entire world to have the Bible knowledge that I have. You understand? To study, to show thyself approved, takes work. It takes diligence. It takes time. It takes commitment. It doesn't happen just because you listen to a couple sermons and you think you know it all. But it takes study and it takes work to rightly divide the word of truth. So we understand that rightly dividing the word of truth takes work. There's a second thing I'd like to show you in this passage. Not only does rightly dividing the word of truth take work, but we also see in this passage that wrongly dividing the word of truth hurts people's faith. Wrongly dividing the word of truth hurts people's faith. Notice with me in verse number 14. Of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about with words to no profit, but subverting the hearers. Here we understand that, you know what happens inside of churches? You know where the battleground is? It's with words. And people get in the idea where they want to have wordy battles inside of the church. Notice it says the word subverting, subverting the hearers. The word subverting is where we get our word catastrophe. That people could use their words and can cause a catastrophe to other people. It can hurt their faith when they're talking without Rightly dividing the word of truth. They're talking about what they heard from the radio. What they heard from this thing over here. What they imagine they heard. And it can hurt people's faith. It can hurt them badly in their faith. And trusting in God and following after him. It can distract them. Notice if you don't mind as we jump to verse number 16. But shun. That has the idea of move away. Shun profane and vain babblings. Why? For they will increase Unto more ungodliness. Instead of obeying and following the Lord, they get focused on their own pride and them being right. And now they're going to study more to prove themselves right. I'm going to show them that I'm right. Instead of studying like they should, now they get in their idea that they have to prove themselves right. And it's going to increase to more profane babbling. It's going to increase to more ungodliness. It's going to increase... For with more false doctrine and more debate. And the Bible says, notice verse 17, and their word will eat at doth a canker. The word canker is the idea of gangrene. So can you imagine gangrene hitting a living tissue and it starts to kill, uh, kill the living tissue until finally there's no other choice but to amputate it. When false doctrine starts creeping into a church, the only way to get rid of it when it starts spreading is to have surgery on it. And that's going to hurt the church to do surgery. I mean, none of us volunteer to do surgery 
on their own, right? None of you go to the doctor's office and say, you know what? It's been a while since I've had surgery. I need you to cut off just something right here. You know why you have surgery? Because you have to. Why don't you want to have surgery? Because it hurts. Someone said this, every surgery is major if it's happening to you. Doesn't matter if you're having a tooth pulled or if you're having an ingrown toenail cut. If it's happening to you, it's major. It hurts. It's something you don't want to do. But false doctrine starting to increase in a church because people don't rightly divide the word of truth. But you have someone who's not studied, someone full of pride, someone who's not looking to what God said. It could start working in a church. And the only way you have to cut it out is to either let it go and gangrene and kill the whole limb or do surgery and cut it out. That's why the Bible gives a lot of warnings about false doctrine. Notice the example that it gives here in verse number 18. <clears throat> uh, verse 17, rather. Their word will eat at the a canker. So here is two people, Paul gives an example. Of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred. Meaning they wrongly divided the word of truth. What did they say? They said that the resurrection is past already. And overthrow the faith of some. So here's two guys inside of the church. Paul knows them. Timothy knows them. And here's two guys that have wrongly divided the word of truth. And what they've been going around saying is that, guess what? The resurrection's already passed. Jesus Christ is rose from the grave. He went to heaven. But he's already raptured some people out. You missed it! You missed the rapture! You're stuck! Don't you think if someone took them seriously, it couldn't hurt their faith in God? Because that's our blessed hope that Jesus Christ is coming to take us out of here. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. And so someone who's wrongly divided the word of truth has gone to the church. Gone to church people and say, hey man, let me tell you. I studied this. I look in here. Let me tell you. You miss the rapture. You're stuck. What a discouragement that is. How much that hurt people. In fact, notice the phrasing the Apostle Paul uses in verse number 18. Who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. They've overthrew their faith. They destroyed it. They conquered it. If you overthrew a city, you, you conquered it. You destroyed it. If you overthrew an empire, you destroyed the empire. When you overthrow the faith, they destroyed the people's faith in God because of false doctrine. This is why it's important to rightly divide the word of truth because people's faith is at risk. You know, every, every doctrine should be evaluated with how we explained it before. Does it line up with the Bible? Did it rightly divide the word of truth? But then also the idea, where does it take you? Where does it take you? Where does that doctrine bring you? For example, someone teaches a doctrine that says that God from his infinite wisdom has preordained some people to get saved and some people not to get saved. And that it is God's choice who gets saved, not your choice. And basically you're going to heaven whether you want to or not. But on the flip side, you're going to hell whether you want it to or not. You know how that could hurt people? I had someone sitting in my truck years ago 
crying in tears saying, I just don't know if I'm going to heaven. Well, what does the Bible say? But I don't know if I'm one of the chosen. It destroyed his faith. But you can add out some more. You know what happens to soul winning? Why should I go soul winning? God already knows who's going to heaven and who's not going to heaven. Why, why do I have to work? God takes care of all of that. I can sit around and do nothing. And so you see how it starts snowballing. And it starts hurting people's faith. And it hurts people's obedience. And it keeps them from moving forward. You understand false doctrine, wrongly dividing the word of truth, isn't just a minor thing. It is a major thing that can overthrow the faith of some. That can destroy people's faith in God. Trusting in Him. They can destroy their personal walk with God. It is a big deal. It is a very serious thing to rightly divide the word of truth. That's why the Bible says to study, to show ourselves approved unto God. A workman rightly dividing the word of truth. Because rightly dividing the word of truth takes work. But wrongly dividing the word of truth hurts the faith of others. It hurts the faith of others. Which brings me to one last thing. That rightly dividing the word of truth. Rightly dividing the word of truth allows us to stand on God's promises. Rightly dividing the word of truth allows us to stand on God's promises. Notice with me in verse number 19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. Means we have a firm foundation. A foundation is what you would plant a building on. You don't want to build a building on sinking sand or quicksand. You want to build a foundation on something that's not going to move. Ever been to someone's house and the foundation is broke and inside of their living room their 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 um, foundation is ripped up. It's weird to kind of walk in a house like that. Nobody wants a house like that. You want a foundation that's sure because the rest of your house is going to be built on that foundation. Everything in the Christian life is based off that foundation. And so if the word of God is sure, the foundation of God is sure, we could build our Christian life on that sure foundation. We could stand on the promises of God. But if you're not sure of the foundation, if you have doubts whether the Bible is true, you're not going to be able to build on it. Notice again in verse 19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. Having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. So here's two promises that he gives an example. The first example is because we know the Bible is true, if we rightly divide the word of truth, one thing we can know is that the Lord knoweth them that are his. You know what we have here? Eternal life. Everlasting life. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. You know how I know I'm going to heaven? Because I know I have Jesus. How do I know I have Jesus? Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. You know it's the Bible that is our foundation of our trusting in God. If the Bible is not sure, you have no guarantee of heaven. Think about that. You understand whether we're going to heaven or not, whether we have forgiveness of sins or not, are based off of the foundation of God's word. And if someone doesn't have rightly dividing the word of truth, they could take that away from people where you're not for sure that you're going to heaven. What a horrible thought that is. 
not to know for sure that I'm going to heaven. Not to know for sure that my sins are forgiven. Notice the Bible gives a second promise here as an example that we have a firm foundation to stand on God's promises. Verse number 19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. Having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his and... Let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Let me tell you the second promise here is that you don't have to sin. Isn't that wonderful? I don't have to sin. I don't have to be stuck in iniquity. I don't have to keep failing God. I can depend on God's mercy. And if any man sin, he have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Oh, isn't that a blessing? That if I do mess up, that Jesus Christ has already forgiven me of my sins. The stuff I used to do, the stuff I did today, and the stuff I'm going to do in the future, it's already paid for. And then he stands before God. There's all kinds of promises that go along with that. And because he's paid my, prom- paid my price for me, I don't have to sin no more. It should make me have a desire to sin less and less and less. I don't have to sin. You know how I know I don't have to sin anymore? Because the Bible tells me so. Because I know the Bible is true. We've rightly divided the word of truth. I can stand on God's promise. That God can give me grace. So I don't have to sin. God can help me. I can be filled with the spirit. And he can guide me. And keep me from sin. I can follow God's principles. And obey them. Oh what a wonderful thing. Those are promises I can stand on. If we rightly divide the word of truth. You understand this is a big deal. And it takes study. We should never take it lightly for preaching a word or teaching a Sunday school class, doing a lady's devotion, doing discipleship, because it is very important that we rightly divide the word of truth because people's faith is at risk. They either will not stand on God's promises or they will stand on God's promises based off of what they believe is true about the word of God. We have the responsibility to study and to show what did God mean by the passage, not what we think it means. We should stand firm. This is what the Bible says. This is why when we preach or we teach, we don't give our thoughts and we give our opinions. We give this is what the Bible says. When a ladies teach a mess, uh, ladies message, You say, well, I'm not preaching. Yeah, but you still should teach the word of God. It shouldn't be, well, what kind of plant are you and have a little game and have the whole thing and don't even open up the word of God. You should always deliver them the word of God every time. When the Sunday school classes are open, it's not big babysitting classes. It's classes that we're trying to teach people the word of God. Whether you're working the nursery, we're trying to teach them Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. We're trying to work with them so that they could stand on the word of God. Because all of our Christian life is dependent on whether the word of God is true. And whether we can trust it. And if the Bible is rightly divided, it helps us to stand on God's word. But in order to rightly divide the word of truth, it takes study. It takes work. By the way, notice again in verse 15. Study to show thyself approved a workman that needeth not be ashamed. If we rightly divide the word of truth and people have learned to stand on the word of God, you don't have to be ashamed of that. It's when we teach error, that's when we are going to be ashamed because we realize it wrecks people's faith. It hurts their trust in God's word and trust in God. 
This is why this is such a key passage here for anyone who does something with God's word. Now, by the way, you shouldn't be afraid of it. You should be respectful of it, but you shouldn't be afraid of it. You ever met a child who was afraid to give a public speech? You shouldn't be afraid of it. Not if you've done the work. You can do the work. You can get it right. Studying the word of God is something that God wants us to do well. And he gives us rules for. But there is a principle to study ourself approved unto God. And when we study to show ourselves approved to God, it takes work. But when we do the work correctly, it helps people to stand on God's promises. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.